you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn this morning with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. The passage is printed in your bulletins. If you grabbed a physical bulletin, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. If you're visiting today, this is a great day to be here because we're starting a new sermon series after uh, weeks and months in the book of Zechariah. We are beginning today, for several weeks anyway, to think about and hopefully to grow in prayer. If you were here for the discipleship hour, Chris teed this up great for me in terms of thinking about prayer. When we think of prayer, when you think of prayer, I suspect that the first thing that comes to your mind is intercession, right? Is praying for others, pleading with God about our needs, about our desires. And while prayer is certainly that, prayer is so much more. Prayer is a huge subject, helpfully unpacked by our confessions, by our catechisms. I probably will refer to those not today, but in weeks to come. They are helpful guides for us and teaching tools for us in regards to prayer. But this morning, as we just kind of dip our toes into this subject, to launch us into this series, in its most general sense, I just want to remind us that prayer is the elevation of the soul to God. It's what David describes in Psalm 25, verse 1, where he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Prayer is what you and I were made for. Prayer is friendship. Prayer is fellowship. Prayer is communion. Prayer is relationship. We weren't made to be content in this life without a connection to the one who made us, the one who has saved us, the one who loves us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the old pastor we've spoken about in this church quite a few times, says this, prayer is beyond question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest, when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. I don't know about you, but I I need to, I want to grow in that. And so this series comes part just out of my own desires, and out of my own desires for you as your pastor. Because prayer is more than a solo endeavor. It is that. Prayer is also a corporate activity. You joined your hearts with mine just a few minutes ago as I, on behalf of all of us, cried out to the Lord. We are called to this as well. To pray not only individually in our closets and in secret, but to pray together. And so this month and leading into the month of April, I want us to be challenged in both kinds of prayer. There are countless angles that we can come at the subject of prayer. We're going to frame our thinking around the most familiar prayer in the Bible, the Lord's Prayer. And this morning, while I'm going to read to you this familiar passage we're going to be unpacking for the next month, we're really just this morning 
hardly even going to get into it. We're just going to scratch the surface. Because this morning I want to spend our time stressing, reminding us again of the need for this. And laying the single most important foundation, I think, for our prayer life. And so Matthew 6, we're going to look at it, we're going to read it. If you are able, I would encourage you to stand for the reading of God's Word. That's our tradition here at Ascension. This is going to be the same text for the next six weeks. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5, reading down through verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Asbury University. Have you guys heard about this in the news? Not on CNN, probably. Asbury University, an ordinary chapel service, turned into this ongoing service of praise and worship, confession of sin, celebration of salvation. It turned into hours, turned into days, turned into weeks. What was it? We should ask questions. What exactly went on there? Is it revival? If so, what is revival? Is it real? Is it something else? I'm not going to answer those questions. I'm not going to talk much about what happened at Asbury University this last month. I just want to talk about an article that I read, a helpful article, I think, that was entitled, The Burning Question from Asbury Isn't About Asbury. And the writer says this. He says, I believe there's a more pressing burning question we should ask. It's what Jesus posed to the paralytic waiting at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. Jesus asked that man, do you want to be healed? The burning question from Asbury isn't about Asbury, it's about you. It's about your heart. It's about your longing. 
Do you really want this? He says. Forget all the stuff we say about revival and our dependence upon the Spirit. It's possible to say you want revival, but deep down, to not want the discomfort God's presence might bring. It's possible to sing songs every Sunday asking for renewal while nursing grudges and bitterness you don't want to be delivered from. It's possible to enjoy, to enjoy the division of the church, your theological tribalism, or the secret sins you harbor, or to take twisted comfort in your own complacency, to become dead into the church's decline and apathetic regarding the future. And yet Jesus' question remains, do you want to be healed? The paralytic comes up with all sorts of excuses for why healing is impossible. No one helps me. I can't get down into the water. I'm all alone. And we do the same. The church is too messed up. It's impossible for God to work in that place. If revival were to happen, it sure wouldn't look that way. If God were to move, He'd do it in a different way. But the question remains, do you want this? Does your heart leap at the thought Do you want to be healed? I read that article and I thought, it's a good question. And I think it pertains to our weeks in this subject of prayer because it begs the question, do we believe in the power of prayer? Do we believe, whatever happened at Asbury aside, do we believe that God can move in such a way? And do we want Him to move in such a way? You see, we're a couple weeks away from, as we're going to work our way through the Lord's Prayer, we're going to take it petition by petition. We're a couple weeks away from the petition, Your Kingdom Come. But let me just spoil it. Prayer is at the heart of our mission. It is at the heart of what we do and what we are to be about as the people of God. It's not just one of the things we do. It's foundational to everything else. And in my own thinking and in all of our thinking, secularism and post-enlightenment thinking lulls us into practically thinking that there is not an unseen realm, that there is not an unseen world, that there is not an unseen connection between this life. But prayer acknowledges that fact. It acknowledges that that is the case. And it taps into that. i got to confess, I was reminded of this this week. And my own practical being lulled into thinking this way. There was a friend in need. There was a friend who was in pain. And my first instinct was not to pray with them, but to try to fix the situation. How can I make you comfortable? How can I get you to the doctor? How can I do what you need? Now those weren't bad things I was caring or seeking to care, but even before I asked those questions, I should have prayed. I should have prayed. 
If we don't pray, we're telling God, as one writer wrote, that what was begun in the Spirit can finish in the flesh. This guy, this book that I read, it's not actually on prayer, but it's on revival. He's very quotable, and he has this great quote. I want to read it to you here at the outset. He says, we have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. So this morning, really this sermon this morning is kind of a prelude, kind of an intro to our study of the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to deep dive this morning into this prayer. We're hopefully going to do that in the weeks to come. This morning, I just want to challenge us. I just want to encourage us that we need to be about prayer. And so two truths for us, two things that I want us to hang our thoughts on this morning. First is this, we need to learn to be a praying people. We need to learn to be a praying people. It's as simple as that. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't pray. You don't pray because you're not a follower of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for those of you, which I think is most of you, if not all of you, who know and love Jesus here this morning, you and I must be people of prayer. You see, Jesus, when he speaks to his disciples here in Matthew, he also speaks to them in Luke. We'll talk about that another time. But he says, Jesus is assuming, as he gives this instruction, that his followers pray. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 6, when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray. Before he even gets to the how of praying, he assumes... And we need to ask the question, are we praying? Are we striving to grow in prayer? We need to be a praying people. Well, why do you, you might ask, why do we need to be a praying people? Well, Jesus tells us to pray, for one, Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. As followers of Jesus, we want to love Jesus by doing what he commands. Jesus asks us to pray. Jesus himself prayed. We see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus retreats from the masses, rises early in the morning to spend time with the Father and to pray. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is mysteriously amazing and simultaneously shaming to me. That Jesus, a man who had more demands on him than any of us, took the time to put those demands aside and spend intentional, substantial time in prayer. 
Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus himself prayed. Your soul needs prayer. That's another reason why to strive to learn to be a praying people. Just like Jesus, you need to step away from the chatter, from the clatter, from all the voices in our culture. And as we started this service with, you need to be still and to know that he is God. And then finally, failing to pray is disobedience. The prophet Isaiah lamented in Isaiah 64 that Israel's iniquity, in their iniquity, he says there was no one who called upon his name. Now listen, I I know it's hard to pray. I'm not trying to heap a guilty burden on you this morning. I'm trying to challenge and to encourage and to inspire you to desire to learn and grow in this area of prayer. It's hard to swim against the tide of secularism. We get locked into all that we see here as if that's all that there is, as if that's reality, but it's not. Prayer links us to the one who created this world, who can change this world, who is active in this world. But it takes learning. It takes a lifetime, right? One author says it takes 20 seconds to say the Lord's Prayer. It takes a lifetime to learn the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's Gospels, the disciples asked Jesus specifically, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's what we have before us, is Jesus' answer to that question, the Lord's Prayer, a prayer of such simplicity, many of us have it memorized by heart, but also a prayer of profundity, of depth. And think about this, before we even dive into the prayer, it's not only the way that Jesus wants us to pray, it's the way that Jesus himself prayed. If you think about the parts of the Lord's Prayer, parts that we'll be examining over the next several weeks, adoration, hallowed be your name. Luke 10, 21, Jesus says, I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise understanding and revealed them to little children. Uh, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about Jesus and the Father's will. John 6, 38, I have come from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And of course, this all came to a head. It all came to a culmination point in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus agonized over the will of the Father. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. Daily bread. John 6, 11. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and before he distributes this amazing miracle of fish and bread, he gives thanks to the giver of all good things. Forgive us our debts. Well, Jesus didn't need forgiveness. This is the one aspect of the prayer where he did not pray it, but he did pray for the forgiveness of others. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Lead us not into temptation. Luke twenty two thirty two. Jesus prayed that for Peter, that his faith might not fail. So Jesus tells us that we need to pray like this. He himself lived like this. He himself prayed like this. 
So the first challenge, the first question to us this morning is, do you need to grow in prayer? And do you need to learn to pray like Jesus? I hope the answer is yes. My answer is yes. Well, where do we start? Well, that's the second thing I want to talk about for just a moment. Not just that we need to learn to be a praying people, but our praying must begin and end with Jesus. Our praying must begin and end with Jesus. In Jesus' name, it's how we close most prayers, most every prayer that we speak. That's appropriate, but He is also where our prayer begins. God tells us how He would like us to approach Him. He allows us, He wants us to approach Him as a Father. As a Father. Now there's a no doubt that God, in a sense, is is Father to all. He is Creator of heaven and earth. He is King of heaven and earth, whether you acknowledge it or not. Paul appealed to this when he spoke to the people of Athens, telling them the good news of a God who would send Jesus for them. He quotes one of their own poets and he says, for we are indeed His offspring. But I don't think Jesus is conveying here when He says, our Father in heaven. Jesus is not conveying that God is the Creator of all. No, Jesus is essentially saying this is a family prayer. This is a family prayer. In other words, the fact that we are told to pray right out of the gate, our Father immediately connects our prayer this prayer to the gospel, to the work of Jesus. And that's why we must begin with Him. Not only that, and we'll press into this more in the weeks to come, but it's not just a family prayer, it's a community prayer, right? It's not my Father, it's our Father. Jesus is reminding us that God does not want us to approach Him on the basis of our own performance, on our fancy words, on our perceived goodness. Rather, God says you can only come to Him by grace. Consider this, and we've talked about this recently. In the whole of the Old Testament, God is spoken as Father only 14 times and never in an intimate way. In the Psalter, which is full of prayers for the life of God's people, never once does a psalmist address God as Father. And then we come to the New Testament, and in contrast, Jesus calls God Father 60 plus times in the Gospel. In the Gospels alone, and that doesn't even count The kind of address in the other books of the Old Testament. You see, to call God Father, to call Yahweh Father is a privileged thing. It's an access, it's a boldness that the other religions in our world and in the ancient world wouldn't dare come close to. And it's a standing that comes to us through the Gospel alone, in Jesus alone. Which is why we not only end our prayers in Jesus' name, but we begin our prayers 
in Jesus' name. Romans 8, we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, John 1, but as many who received him to them, he gave the right to be called children of God. So if you're here this morning, if you're online listening and you don't know Jesus, this isn't your prayer, at least not yet. You may have memorized it. You may be able to spout it out by heart, as many in our culture can do. But this is not some magical mantra that you can take upon your lips in your time of greatest need. Your first prayer, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, is to pray and to cry out for mercy. That the Father who made you would adopt you through the work of His Son, that your idolatry, that your rebellion, that your sin would be forgiven as Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. If that becomes the cry of your heart, then this prayer immediately becomes your prayer. A prayer of incredible distance becomes a prayer of incredible intimacy. And not only intimacy, but affection. Father, that's a term of affection. Of course, the two are related. When, when I want to be particularly affectionate to my son, I might not call him by his first name. I might say, son, come here. The fact that we can address Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth, in such a way is phenomenal. Jesus has directed us, invited us, to come in the posture of children crying out to our Father in heaven. We've talked about this before. I know many of us, some of us struggle with the image of a father because your experience of father was not one of love and intimacy and access. Maybe your father was weak. He was abusive. He was absent. God says, let me be the father that you never had because I am gentle I am lowly in heart. Even Jesus' invitations, come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden. When your child, you stand in awe of your father in some respects. He can do anything. He's bigger and better than anyone. This is your father in heaven, the one who is enthroned and reigning in the unseen realm. He's bigger than our problems, bigger than your problems, than your sin. So go to Him. Cry out to Him. He loves you and He invites you to cry out to Him through Jesus. This is where the prayer begins. Our Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are, as we are, convicted of our need to be praying people, as we seek to learn to pray like this, we must first begin by recognizing and rejoicing in the standing that the Lord Jesus has given us through the gospel. All I wanted to accomplish this morning before we dive into this prayer in the weeks to come is to challenge us. Do we believe in the importance in the necessity, in the power of prayer? Do we really want God to act in unexplainable ways in our world? I hope we do. 
Because he does as his children cry out to him. Our prayers matter. They don't inform God of anything. They don't change God per se, but they do change us. And they do change our world. Because God in his mysterious, infinite wisdom loves to use secondary means to accomplish his purposes. He loves to use your prayers and my prayers. And most of all, he delights when we delight in him. When we desire him. So may God in these next weeks to come give us grace as we seek to press into these things and grow in prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this encouragement from our Savior in regards to prayer. Father, we are like the disciples. We fall asleep when we should be praying. We actively try to engage and fix problems when we should be praying. Oh, Father, I pray that in the the weeks to come as we unpack this prayer, as we unpack Jesus' words, that you, Holy Spirit, would stir us anew. That you would not only give us the desire to see you move, to see you answer, and that that might motivate us to get on our knees. That indeed you would do that in our world. Oh, Holy Spirit, take this word, plant it deep in us, I pray for our good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.